Section 18 of Neighbourhood A Year's Life in and About an English Village by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 September Part 2 That summer is drawing to its end, an autumn close at hand, one need not look at the calendar to know throughout a morning's walk signs of imminent change crop up now at every turn the wild arums that you have forgotten since last you saw them turning their pale green cowls from the light give out a bold glitter of scarlet in the shady deeps under every hedgerow each day sees the hips and haws growing ruddier though september is scarce half gone the green bracken fronds in the woods are already alight at the tips with crimson and gold and the heather on the coombe side has lost its clear rose red the song of the bees in it seems as loud as ever but for every tuft of living blossom there are two that are faded and brown the good times are nearly over for the honey-makers and each day the gathering of a full load of nectar means travelling farther afield i wonder why it is i always look forward to the renewal of the year's life with so much eagerness and impatience and yet meet its decline with such surpassing equanimity am i i have often asked myself lately the same being who industriously searched the river bank for a whole bleak february morning in quest of the first colt's foot greeting it with an unconscionable extravagance of rejoicing i who now tread the same way in no wise perturbed nor even unelated at the obvious fact of each day's lessened ardour the truth that the year is already on the long downward road riding for its winter fall awakens in me not a pang of regret indeed i neither remember the departed magnificence of june as something lost nor regard the ever-diminishing september days as portent of penurious times to come with autumn as with advancing age when once each is assured irrevocable the natural tendency seems to be towards a looking neither backward nor forward but towards a joyful acceptance of the things that are and so at these times whatever our declared principles we one and all develop or degenerate into optimists but of a truth it needs very little of this mental condiment to be happy in a sussex downland village in september perhaps none but the very old can at any time sincerely avow a repugnance towards machinery and farming certainly at this season of the year the whole spirit of village life receives benefit from it they have been threshing up at the farm to-day and from sunrise to sunset 
all through the still quiet golden hours the voice of the threshing mill has permeated everything blent itself with the song of the robins in the garden with the chime from the smithy with all the other sounds of labour that go to make up the silence of country dwelling-places i have come to look upon this sound as the veritable keynote of autumn and to believe that it has an influence on all hearts at this season entirely underrated by those whose business it is to study rural affairs it is the fashion to contemn the old melodramatic trick of still music but for my own part i have never been able to resist the low sobbing and sighing of the violins when the stage story is being cleared up all wrongs righted and the villain given his due the speech itself is nothing to me it is seldom regarded and remembered never i should be just as deeply moved if all that leashed melodious passion went as setting to old mother hubbard or twinkle twinkle little star and on the same principle when this beautiful solemn voice of the threshing mill dwells in the autumnal air i find myself doing the commonest things with a sense of high fate and speeding of the world's progress but indeed nature works throughout largely on this still music plan and therein lies one inestimable advantage of living in the country birdsong to all intents and purposes unceasing throughout the year the songs of stream river and sea the songs of the four winds all work together for good on the hearts of those men and women who by their own design or by external destiny have been led to keep their thread of life running by green woods and fields as the sun went down behind the hills and left the world afloat in wine-coloured mist every sound of work ceased in the village save this rich throbbing voice of the threshing mill up at the farm i went out into the dreaming light to listen to it from where i sat on the churchyard wall i could make out that they were prolonging the work into the dusk so that the last rick might be finished now and the threshing gang move on to-night to the next farm there was the deep sound of the mill itself one tremendous baritone note succeeding another each held for a moment and then suddenly changing to one higher or lower in the sonorous clef apart from this i could distinguish the fuss and fume of the engine as it drove its white breath in little unsteady gusts up against the violet calm of the sky and there was another sound the flapping song of the driving belt a note that punctuated everything as though some invisible conductor were beating time to the general symphony but the combined effect of all was infinitely harmonious and restful 
yet i had come out in the main to hear not this familiar part of the music but something about it that i loved to hear most of all and this was the stopping of the machine it was almost dark before the last sheaf went to the mill and steam was shut off and then the wonderful note began the machine took an appreciable time to run down but now there was no upward inflection in its voice note by note each note more drawn out and quieter the rich tones fell through every stage of an octave until at last they died away in the profoundest softest bass even then i fancied i could feel the solid earth still shuddering with a music too deep for human ear i think the last of the summer boating parties to windlecombe has come and gone at least for a week i have seen and heard nothing of revelry but the thin stream of odd folk still dribbles into the village from road or down there were two elderly ladies obviously sisters wandering about the place one day who afforded material for commentary to most curious tongues severely and sparely clad in grey tweeds wearing black felt hats each wrapped about with a wisp of grey gauze and gold spectacles over the shining halves of which little tight glossy white ringlets depended pink serene faces inclined to be downy and voices low and gentle yet extraordinarily penetrating and clear they crept about the village all day long in an ecstasy of enjoyment peering into cottage doorways looking over garden fences watching the children at play on the green and the mothers hanging out their linen gazing with timorous delight down into the wheelwright saw-pit and into the black deeps of tom clemmer's forge and all the while though they kept up an incessant low interchange between themselves they accosted no one apparently windlecombe was to them a sort of spectacle half peep show and half menagerie where everything might be looked at but nothing touched the last i saw of them they were standing at the far end of the green looking towards the seats under the seven sisters where two old rustics slumbered peacefully in the sun the pair were in earnest consultation and obvious though wholly affectionate difference on some point at length one apparently the more ancient by a year or two raised her hands with a gesture of reluctant consent and then the other timidly approached the old men presented each with what at a distance appeared to be a surplus sandwich drawn from a reticule and returned to her companion giving her before they made off down the street together a grateful childish little hug on another day 
a very different pair dropped down from the skies amongst us they were two men scarcely of middle age the one with a swirl of coppery hair topping a high forehead the other sombre-locked low-browed and swarthy both alike shabby unshaven and unkempt they came swinging down the hill-path together hatless and barefooted laden up with certain dusty travelling gear the one of them carrying in addition a leather-cased violin as they strode through the village street they made the place resound with their laughter jovially greeted all and sundry that chanced in their way and finally disappeared through the door of the three thatchers inn thereafter sitting at work by the window i forgot all about them until a far-off strain of music gradually forced itself upon my ear i could make out the violin played as though it were three instruments at least and above it such a voice as i had heard only once in my life before i saw that passers-by were halting in the roadway to listen some were crowded round the inn window craning over one another's heads then the music stopped the pair of harmonious vagabonds reappeared and made straight for the seven sisters all the folk jostling at their heels a moment later the violin struck into an air that sent my pen clattering to the paper and my feet speeding towards the house door it was the x something the tenor song from q something played by a master hand before i reached the fringe of the little crowd taking the old vicar by the arm as i went the copperhead man had mounted upon the seat and had begun to sing the incomparable melody hurling it over the heads of the crowd with a passion a force yet with a surpassingly delicate sweetness of tone that drew the people spellbound closer and closer with every moment round him the old parson's grip tightened on my sleeve what is he like he whispered and when i had told him strange that he should come here and but there can be few with a voice like that it must be ah listen don't you know now for the song had changed the violin had slowed down into a simple quiet undertone and then there pealed out upon us an air that a year ago had been made famous by one man alone and he almost the greatest in his art as he sang his great chest heaving in the sunshine i watched him and once he looked swiftly in our direction he gave us the whole piece that finishes on a note incredibly high yet is not really an end to the song for the note is one picked out as it were at random in the scale then to my amazement he got down from the bench 
took the hat from the head of the nearest boy and went gravely about among the folk collecting pennies from me he levied toll as from the rest but instead of holding out the hat to the reverend he placed it money and all into his hands adding to the goodly store a shining piece from his own pocket you will know what to do with it said he his grey eyes twinkling merrily a minute later the pair were trudging off together down the street as they had come with their dusty travel-stained satchels swinging behind them and their long hair blowing in the breeze yes the summer is gone in very truth with every day now and every hour of the day the writing on the wall shows plainer while the hushed hot times endured it was still possible to believe red autumn as far away as ever for not a leaf in oak or elm has changed nor will change perhaps for weeks to come but the tell-tale winds of the equinox are upon us bringing the very voice of autumn with them and the acorns are falling by the river and the thistle-down drifting white upon the hills i began this day badly badly that is to say from my own private point of view which is a point it may well be like euclid's having position but no dimensions yet a point nevertheless chancing to wake with the dawn i saw that the day was beginning with a beautiful smoke pearl trellis in the east behind which welled up an ever strengthening fountain of silver white coming presently out upon the green under this pure pale glow of morning i was startled by a cry that came echoing from the misty twilight of the hills high up high up volla 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 hoarse harsh undeniably brutal it sounded in the sweet snow-white lustre of the virgin light and then came the shrill blare of the huntsman's horn the confused yelping and baying of the pack and the dull thunder of beating hoofs as the hunt drove over the hilltop and fell to drawing windle coverts at once the silent village awoke windows were thrown open and heads appeared dark figures burst from cottage doors and went pounding up the lane that led to the hills round the covert the horsemen gathered in a motionless ring while the huntsman drove his pack through the undergrowth for ever urging them forward with that fierce guttural note which was more like the cry of a wolf than a man at length a fine cub fox broke cover and led the whole company a ding-dong chase over the hills and out of sight and hearing for good some hours later i met farmer coles and his two sons returning from the sport and the youngest a mere schoolboy mounted on a pony his head as he rode 
reaching scarce to his father's saddle-peak he was in huge high spirits displaying the brush his share of the spoil to all acquaintance as he passed and the face of this yellow-haired chubby child was bedaubed with blood thick zebra-like streaks of it smudged across his smooth forehead and rosy baby cheeks he was going home delighted to show to an admiring mother how he had been blooded at his first cub hunt and in all that countryside i thought to myself as i passed on there was scarce a man or woman of station and breeding who would not have applauded son of theirs returning home in such a plight nor though at the time the thing filled me personally with genuine horror and loathing did i condemn it nor wish to see its like made impossible in the land for the sybaritish lotus-eating danger is too imminent in our midst for any such fabian trifling it will be a woeful day for england when we have bred out of our young manhood the last instincts of the healthy brute i got into runridge's skiff in the absence of its owner and pushed off into midstream letting the little craft drift whither it would wind and tide together were setting strongly up country swiftly the reedy banks glided by as we bore through the meadows that lie at the foot of the hills the summer was gone indeed and gone with it that sense of striving towards achievement the year seemed to be resting upon its oars as i was doing all its fruit was set there remained nothing now but to wait and let it ripen it was just this waiting and resting that made up autumn's greatest charm i set my elbows on my knees and my chin on my hands and let the little boat choose a destiny for the idle pair of us the bank was high to windward we drifted in an almost unruffled calm while overhead there sailed by an unending cloud of thistledown tiny vertices of sunlit silver each gleaming star-like against the morning blue most of them took the broad river at a stride disappearing over the opposite bank but many fell upon the water thousands of them floated around me and as far as i could reach the water was grey and misty with them and this was only one nook of earth in innumerable miles how was it i asked of the wind above me that with such inexhaustible store of thistle-seed she could not sow the whole land thick with thistles in a single season and drive all other things from the fields the answer was to be obtained for the mere raising of a hand for it is not the thistle-seed that flies but only the harmless thistle-down moreover 
among the millions of airships that each thistle-patch sends off upon the wind throughout a breezy autumn day not one in fifty ever bore a seed or if bearing it contrived to carry its burden more than a yard or two the curved seed pod of the thistle is attached to its feathery volute only by the slenderest thread and is brushed off by the lightest touch of the first grass blade as it sails low over the sward but the thistledown lightened of its counterpoise bowls on for ever end of section eighteen